It's not like any other podcast. Coming to you straight from Eastern Iowa, where apartment ownership and investing is told like it is. It's time for Darren Garman's Apartment Specialist Podcast. Hold on, because here comes the next episode of the Apartment Specialist Podcast. Everybody, Darren Garman here, and welcome to this week's podcast. We're going to talk about, we're going to revisit a little bit anyway, and I haven't talked about this in a long time, but I want to revisit it because... I think it's important for all of us to know, especially those of us involved in investment real estate, or really investing in general. And that is what I call migration. All right, migration. I could call it trends. I could call it, um, I could use some statistical analysis and go over all of that kind of stuff. I could say trends. I could say, there's a lot of different ways I could turn, I could really frame this, but I'm going to frame it under the, under the term migration, because this migration has had a significant impact on multifamily investing and multifamily ownership over the years. Uh, so much so, it's something you need to be aware of, and you need to always keep in mind when it comes to doing your own investing, whether you're an uh, active investor owning your own stuff, doing the management, overseeing management, uh, or whether you are a passive investor. It doesn't matter. And the migration, I'm going to take you back. Yeah, I'm going to take you back. I promise I'm not going to tell you a whole bunch of stories about, you know, when I was young. Um, But I want to take you back about 30 years. Okay, I want to take you back about 30 years. And so let's go back and let's talk about the state of the multifamily market 30 years ago. Okay. So about 30 years ago, uh, we just came out of a couple of interesting things. Uh, the biggest one was Resolution Trust Corporation and the SNL crisis, savings and loan. Some of you will probably not have any idea what I mean when I say savings and loan. There used to be, uh, bank, I'll call them banks, that called themselves savings and loans. So there were savings and loans, there were banks, and there were credit unions. Okay? Pretty much. Uh, More banks than anything else, but there were savings and loans, banks and credit unions. And the savings and loans, there were all over the United States, just about as numerous as banks. Uh, They got into trouble because a lot of the savings and loans lent money on uh, real estate. And back then, Back in the day, real estate had a much more aggressive depreciation schedule. So what that means for our podcast here, all you need to know about that, if I'm talking a foreign language to you already, is that you could put a down payment or an investment in a piece of real estate and get that down payment or investment back within one to two years because of all of the tax write-offs you would get. Okay, so what you had happening was, for the most part, you would have many people not investing in a property because of the benefits of cash flow, income, appreciation, all that, okay? So that's part of it, but it's really because, holy shit, I could put my down payment into this, my investment into this 500 grand today, I get it back in tax write-offs over the next year, and I still own the property after that? That's what was going on. Until the early 80s, early 80s when uh, the Tax Reform Act happened and it changed all of that. Okay, what, The result of that was since there were so many investors 
that paid so high price, so many high, they, they paid such a high price for their properties. Again, why? Because they're buying for the big tax write-off, not because of really market. You know, what's the market value? It's, oh, geez, I, I want to do this. So it drove up values tremendously. And what do you think happened to the values after that change? Values plummeted significantly after the Tax Reform Act. The depreciation schedules are pretty much the same today as they were when they had the Tax Reform Act change, Tax Reform Act change in the early 80s. So right after that, we came out of the um, Resolution Trust Corporation. So what started happening was um, so many properties were going into foreclosure. So many savings and loans were going under because they couldn't handle all of the bad debt that they had and the bad write-down of debt that they had from a million-dollar property all of a sudden now it's worth 200000 The $12 million property is now all of a sudden worth $3 million. I mean, that's kind of, the, that's kind of what was going on. Um, that was the biggest uh, negative real estate event that happened about 30 years ago. It's actually a little bit more than 30 years ago. Okay, so that's what was coming into the time when I got into the business, which was the early 90s. So I got in the real estate business in the early 90s. Okay, I want to say like, I believe it was like 91 or 92, something like that. Okay, so 30 years ago. So I get in the business right pretty much off of a few years being out of the RTC being created. The Resolution Trust Corporation was created by the government to go in bail out the savings and loans, take control of the assets, sell the assets, taxpayers paid a shit ton of money to get through this, okay, just like the housing crash of 2008 and 2000, 2007 to 2009. That's pretty much what the Resolution Trust Corporation was. They came in, cleaned house, sold all the assets. I even have a couple friends and partners that did work for them. Uh, they were called bank workouts. They did workouts for them or savings and loan workouts at the time. So now what you have though is now you have stability. So now your, your decision to buy a multifamily property isn't based on you getting your investment back within a year or two through tax savings. It's based on market fundamentals. What's the value of the property? How much income? How much will appreciate? What do we realistically think it'll be worth three five years from now? Okay? Have I set the stage? Good. All right. So Here's the landscape in the early 90s of two kinds of owners in the early 90s. Okay, two kinds of owners. The first kind of owner was M and P. The second kind of owner was Inc. So what do I mean by that? You either had one of two owners. You had mom and pop owners, that's M and P, Mom and pop owned the multifamily communities, or some corporation did. Some corporation did. And usually what the case was, mom and pops owned anywhere from four, even up to 400 units. Okay? So you'd have mom and pop operations, many times families, that would own 200, 300, 350 unit apartment communities. But there was in the family, they were running it. It was like the family business. Okay? All the way down to mom and pop that own their own 12-unit property. Maybe they own three 24-unit properties. Maybe they own seven fourplex properties. Okay? So all different kinds of combinations, but the vast majority, 
90 plus percent of owners in this category were mom and pop of some way, of some kind, okay? And then 10% were corporations, companies. Okay, companies that owned them. Then over time, what started happening is an interesting migration. Migration of mom and pop started to turn into investor versus being a landlord. All right? So what started happening in um, mid-90s and then really into mid-2000s was the slow migration from landlord to investor. And what do I mean by that? I mean simply, more and more people wanted to be involved in owning investment real estate, especially apartment communities. Wanted to own their own 40-unit, 12-unit, 24-unit, whatever, whatever size, even the big ones, a couple hundred units. They wanted to own them. They saw all the reasons why they should own them. But they didn't want to be a landlord for all the reasons that many people don't want to be a landlord. I won't go over all those reasons. They would rather be an investor. So what started popping up? Big time, REITs, R-E-I-T's, Real Estate Investment Trusts. So these, were com these are companies that take people's money and invest that money uh, into their company, and then that company goes and invests in real estate. So you had more and more REITs coming up because people were going from landlord to investor. Okay? Landlord to investor. So this happened from mid-90s into the mid-2000s. Then into the mid-2000s, over the last 20 years to today, last 15 years, you've gone from landlord to investor to Investor wanting both. Investor wanting to be both an investor and a landlord. That's where we are today. So let me just kind of plot this for you, okay? We went from being 90% mom and pop, okay, 30 years ago. Now we are 90% investor wanting to be both uh, an investor and a landlord. That's where we are now. That's the migration. What do I mean by an investor wanting to be an investor and a landlord? Simple, simple. Most investors now not only want to own their own apartment communities, they want to get all of the benefits as if they were running the apartment community too. So if you're an active owner, you not only get income, appreciation, um, uh, equity build, so you get all of those things, but remember, active landlords also get all of the tax advantages. Okay, they get all of the benefits of their hard work from appreciation to equity buildup to income 
to tax savings, etc. So at the end of the day, if you're an active owner, you can have a cash flow out of your property of let's say $100,000 of income that goes into your pocket. But after you complete your tax return, legally you can legally do this, you can show a $12,000 loss. So think about that. You put $100,000 of income in your pocket, you complete your tax return, you show a $12,000 loss, you pay zero taxes on the income, and your property continues to appreciate. And you build equity. That's what investors want. Investors want to be investors, but they also want to have the benefits of a landlord. While being what? What do you think? Passive. Passive. This is where the demand is today. That's where it is today. Are there still mom and pops around? Hell yes. I talk to them every day. There's a lot of them, but not nearly as many as there used to be. Are there still um, landlords around? Just plain landlords. And they own larger, yeah, there are. So there are those folks that are still around in some of these categories I mentioned. You know, there's still quite a few companies that own um, real estate investment trusts, other companies that own larger communities. But here's the demand, folks. The demand has gone from basically being 30 years ago a mom and pop thing, for the most part, for most multifamily properties, to I want to be a landlord and an investor. I want to get all the benefits out of it, and I want to do it passively. That's where we're at today. That's the migration. That's the migration. So what is this migration doing? Well, it's doing three things. Number one, it's actually good news. Number one, it's opening up the ability, the availability of owning your own multifamily community to those that ordinarily wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, how many of you right now can stroke a check and buy your own 300-unit apartment community? I'm sure some of you can, but not, not you know, the majority of you would not be able to do that. Through this, you can. Number two, it allows you to do this also with IRA or 401k money. So think about this. 30 years ago, you couldn't invest your IRA or 401k in a 300-unit apartment community. Couldn't do that. But now since this migration has happened, now you can if you wanted to. Now you can. All right? And then the third thing that this does is it gives investors many more opportunities and diversification processes for owning multifamily properties. Okay? So, in other words, I can own my own 12-unit property. I'm the landlord of that. I can run that myself. And at the same time, I can have ownership in a 400-unit property passively. I'm getting the same benefits in both of those properties. The one I'm running by myself and the one that I'm not running. But I still get the same benefits all around. Cool, huh? Pretty interesting. That was not the case 30 years ago. Not the case. Right? So this has been the migration. This is where things are at. This is where things are going. And you will keep 
My outlook is when I look into the crystal ball, it's going to keep moving forward. This momentum will keep moving forward. Okay? It'll keep moving forward in this direction. Um, and so that's where we're at in the migration world. So where are you in this migration process? Where are you at? Are you a landlord? Um, are you a passive investor? Uh, are you maybe a little bit of both? And now you get to think about a few other things regarding this. Number one is if you're not invested in this yet, but you want to be, look at all the alternatives you've got. I mean, it used to be your only alternative was to call a guy like me, like the real estate broker guy. Okay, hey, I want to buy my own 12-unit property. Okay, and then you wait around until it came up. It could be a month, it could be six months, it could be a year. Okay, that's not the case now. You can call me up and say, hey, I want to own a really good multifamily community. You're in it in probably a month or two at the very latest. You own it and still get all the active benefits as if you waited around to buy that 12-plex for 6, 8, or 12 months. That's cool. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Huge change from 30 years ago. And not surprisingly, those people that I know that are still maybe in the real estate business in various areas that were in the business 30 years ago when I got into the business after leaving my job at the prison and um, doing all of that. Um, they're, if, if they're still stuck back, in thir back 30 years ago, <clears throat> they're right now sitting on the sidelines scratching their head wondering what the hell's going on. Okay? They're wondering what's happening. Um, they're wondering what's happening. Because this will continue to gain momentum. This will continue to be the case. Um, and let me mention one more thing on where you really see this. I'm going to just pick this little section right here. Right now, if you want to buy a multifamily community, a big one, and it's for sale with, let's just say, a publicly traded company. Uh, there are a handful of publicly traded real estate companies out there that are in the brokerage business. What they will do is they will sell it, and they'll have what's, what, they, what they term a call for offers. Call for offers. Some of you are familiar with this. By the way, I hate it, and if you've been with me a while, you know how I feel about the call for offers process, especially if you're looking to buy something. I won't go into it now. It's 25 minutes of me just bitching about it, okay? But this is what they do. They go through call for offers. It's basically, hey, this property is available. This 400 unit properties available. Make an offer. It's unpriced. So they'll contact everybody they think would have an interest in it and they say, make us your best offer. So you make your best offer. You and probably 10 other people, at least. Probably 20 based on you know, where the demand is right now. Then what happens? Well, already you know you're competing. So are you going to submit, you know, an offer where you've got a lot of room to maybe negotiate? You've got some points you really want to work on. Are you really going to submit that kind of offer? Or since you've got 10 other offers that you know are coming in, are you going to be pretty aggressive right out of the gate? Because if you're not, 
you're already out of the out of the picture, right? So you're going to come in higher than what you'd like. Then once you've submitted your first offer, here's what they do. No matter where the offers are at, by the way, no matter if the owner's thinking he's going to get $10 million and there's three $12 million offers on the table, here's what they do. Oh, the list is now cut down to five. And out of you five investors, now give us your best and final offer. Okay? To pump up the money and the dollars even more. Okay? Again, I got a long, long podcast about this process. And that's not my point here. But what I'm saying is those owners will then sell it. This did not exist 30 years ago. It did not exist. This model, call for offers model, was not around. Why? Because there were landlords, not investors. Most everybody 30 years ago was a landlord. They wouldn't do that. They'd give the, they'd give the broker, the agent, the proverbial finger and say, screw you, buddy. I'm not doing that. Price it or forget it. I'm, I'm walking down the road. But now since we've got investors that want to be both investors and landlords and get all those benefits that have replaced the landlord, now there's call for offers. Because investors, at the end of the day, will cooperate with that process. Why? Because they're more investor than they are landlord. Okay? Um, so that's the interesting migration we've seen over the last 30 years in the multifamily world. I could dive into five or six other categories. There's two I thought about as I was talking to you on this podcast, but this is where we're at. So other than giving you some information that I think can be useful to you, what are you going to do with this information? How are you going to design your multifamily investment plan in terms of how you're going to invest, how you're going to grow your empire, how you're maybe going to reduce your empire, whatever you're going to do. There's no wrong answers, but knowing this will help. Knowing this will help. Okay? All right, so uh, I hope this podcast has been beneficial. And before I let you go, make sure if you've not signed up yet, I think we've got three spots remaining, no, yeah, three spots remaining for the Heartland Multifamily Investment Summit and Property Tour next month, okay? So, remember, this is personal. We get together. We, this is, we're, we're together. So, yeah, we're going to get together. Um, and we not only spend half a day together, we look at properties, we look at financials, we go tour the properties, you get to see and put everything together all in a day. Uh, those that attend absolutely love it. It's a game changer for them, not only in terms of them investing, um, but in terms of their knowledge and knowing what to do and how to do it. So if you have not signed up for the Multifamily Investment Summit, you need to go to, not surprisingly, www.heartlandinvestmentsummit, all one word, heartlandinvestmentsummit.com, and get your place before it is taken, and then we'll get you logistical information 
once we get your registration. Okay? All right. Have a great day. Have a great week or weekend. Whenever you've listened to me or watched, we will talk to you later. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Apartment Specialist Podcast. For investment questions, comments, or to get in touch with Darren, go to www.heartlandinvestmentrealestate.com.